Good morning. I want to start uh, by having us all read some scripture. Now, George touched on it earlier, how fantastic. It's a reminder of wh why we're in this sermon series called All In. Where does that come from? And you heard George touch on that uh, earlier. Let's read this together. This is Jesus speaking from Luke 9, starting in verse 23. Out loud with me, let's read this. Then he said to them all, whoever wants to be my disciple must deny themselves and take up their cross daily and follow me. For whoever wants to save their life will lose it, but whoever loses their life for me will save it. But what good is it for someone to gain the whole world and yet lose or forfeit their very self? So this idea of being all in is not kind of a suggestion. Jesus says, if you want to be one of my own, you've got to give it all up. You've got to be all in and understand the power of a fully committed life. Today we wrap up this brief three-week sermon series on being all in. We're talking about being all in with our resources and the reason God um, talks about this so much in his word is that he cannot allow anything to come between us and him. When we start putting our faith, our trust, our hope, um, our, our understanding that we'll get full from something else beside him, that's an idol, and that's destructive, and that's very dangerous. So God says, be all in with your resources, live generously, don't put your hope in these things Put your hope in me. Larry Burkett is a Christian author. Um, he's influenced me in these areas, so maybe you'll hear some of his ideas in the message this morning. The text for us comes from an interesting place. So Jesus is talking to people about his word landing in people's lives and how that affects them. It's the parable of the four soils. And he compares four different kind of people to four soils. And three out of the four times, those seeds, his word, lands in people's lives and it doesn't change them. And then he comes to the end of the parable and says, but the good soil hears my word and receives it, and from them grows up a plant that bears fruit. As he's explaining this parable, he comes to this very peculiar um, portion where he's describing a certain kind of soil that does not receive the word of God well, and these people do not come to faith. And as he's explaining it in Mark 4, Jesus says this, still others, other people, like seeds sown among thorns, hear the word. But look at the reasons why they don't receive it. The worries of this life, the deceitfulness of wealth, and the desires for other things come and choke the word, making it unfruitful. Oh, pretty interesting. Let's come together in prayer. Father, we um, are all in for you, but we really even need help with that. Um, a fully committed life does not come from our own. Um, do, we don't generate that from within. It comes from you. So Holy Spirit, come and dominate us, move us, slay us, knock us down only to build us back up again. Let us understand that this is not a message about the church guy trying to get money out of people. This is a message from your word about the dangers of putting our hope and trust in the things of this world and the great benefit, the great benefit in our lives in being all in for Christ, even in our resources. May the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be pleasing in your sight, my Lord, my rock, and my redeemer. And together we pray this and we all say, amen. Our first stop this morning is that being all in with our resources means our money won't cause us to worry. When we're fully committed to Christ in all things, including our resources, we have no reason to worry. We don't put our security in a bank account. We trust in Christ. Pretty long passage of scripture to share with you from Matthew 6. This is Jesus speaking. He says, I tell you, do not worry about your life, what you will eat or drink, or about your body, what you will wear. Is not life more than food and the body more than clothes? 
Look at the birds of the air. They do not sow or reap or store away in barns, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not much more valuable than they? Can any one of you, by worrying, add a single hour to your life? And and why do you worry about clothes? See how the flowers of the field grow. They do not labor or spin, yet I tell you, not even Solomon in all of his splendor was dressed like one of these. Now, if that's how God clothes the grass of the field, which is here today and tomorrow is thrown into the fire, will he not much more clothe you, you of little faith? So do not worry, saying, what shall we eat or what shall we drink or what shall we wear? The pagans run after these things, and your heavenly Father knows that you need them. But seek first his kingdom and his righteousness, and then all these things will be given to you as well. Therefore, do not worry about tomorrow, for tomorrow will worry about itself. Each day has enough trouble of its own. There's a lot there, I know, but basically Jesus is saying, do not worry, child of mine. I know your needs. I will take care of you. He says, come after me first. Seek my righteousness, and once you do, then I will add to you all the things that you need, all the things that you require. Are you worried about your finances? Do you know that God's taking care of you? Pretty good quote. It's anonymous. I don't know who wrote it, but it speaks to me. Worrying is believing that God will not get it right. Right? That's all worrying is. Give your worries to God. If you're someone that's kind of consumed with this right now in your life, doesn't seem like the finances are working out, there's stress, give those worries to God. Philippians 4, 6, and 7, do not be anxious about anything, but in every situation, by prayer, and petition by asking God for things. With thanksgiving, present your requests to God. And then what happens? Well, then the peace of God, this peace that is so enormous that the human mind can't even understand how we have it in the midst of turmoil, it transcends all understanding, will guard your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. The psalm writer David, when filled with anxiety and stress, went to God and said, God, deliver me out of this. He writes in Psalm 25, turn to me and be gracious to me, for I am lonely and afflicted. He writes, uh, relieve the troubles of my heart and free me from my anguish. Number two for us this morning, being all in with our resources means that our money will not corrupt us. Oh, there's a danger here. Our money will not corrupt us. Let the Holy Scriptures, let God's word be your guide and your norm for righteous living, not what the, the world says is a priority, not getting more, faster, shiny, newer, better, but holy scriptures. Don't let the draw of money dictate the way you act. We read this at the beginning. Jesus is explaining this parable. He talks about the seed landing among thorns. They hear this word, these people, but stuff doesn't let it land in their hearts. The worries of this life, we just talked about worry, and then the deceitfulness of wealth. Isn't that interesting that it appears here? And the desire for other things, kind of a catch-all at the end. They come in and they choke the word and they make it unfruitful. They corrupt you. Putting our hope in money corrupts us. Galatians 6, 7 through 8, do not be deceived. God is not mocked for whatever one sows, in other words, whatever one plants, that will he also harvest, he'll reap. For no one who sows to his own flesh or the priorities of the world will from that flesh reap what? What's the word? Corruption. But the one who sows to the spirit will from the spirit reap eternal life. Being all in with our resources will allow us to keep money from corrupting us. Story after story, I don't need to tell you, of people allowing their riches 
they're prioritizing things other than God corrupt them. And maybe the foulest, the foulest is from a man named um, John, uh, Jordan Belfort. True story, he started as a penny stock broker. I think that's a guy who like trades in very small amounts of money and built his um, trading firm in New York City up to, up to a $220 million firm. He spent 22 months in prison for fraud and theft of investors. And if you know anything about his story, it's dark. He became so wealthy and so full of that that it began to corrupt him. Sexual foulness beyond what you can imagine. Indecency, he would degradate people just for sport. New ways to humiliate people, to destroy their humanity. Abhorrent and detestable behavior. It seemed like he was inventing new ways to be evil. When we put our trust in things other than God, including our resources, including our money, it can corrupt us. So being all in with our resources toward God, saying this is all yours anyway, God, keeps us from being corrupted. Well, number three for us this morning, all in with our resources means that we will not use our money to build our egos. We won't use the things that God has given us to make us think that we are greater and bigger than our neighbors. Our identity and security are in Christ. Our identity and our security is in Christ. We, we are not beings grabbing as much as we can through this life, going through life, collecting money, things, trying to outdo or at least keep up with our neighbors. You are a redeemed child of God, bought out of di- darkness by our Lord Jesus Christ. That's your identity. You are a redeemed child of God, bought out of darkness by our Lord Jesus Christ. When we find our identity in things, our money, our position, that leads to at least disappointment, if not corruption and darkness. This is one of my favorite things to talk with young people about when we're talking about spiritual things in God. I like to ask them, who are you? What's your identity? At your core, who are you? And if they do have the ability to muster an answer, I say, well, where's that from? How did you get it? Well, what makes you think that's your identity? And then conversations start about how you can be a child of the most high God, the God who rules the universe. And it's nothing you have to do. It's through what Jesus has already done for you. And for those of us that are Christians, those of us who are disciples, that is our identity. Being all in with our resources means we don't use money to build our egos. I don't know who the author of this is, but it's a helpful quote for me, maybe you too. Uh, well, let's talk about Galatians first. <laughs> so in Christ, you are all children of God through faith. For all of you who are baptized into Christ have clothed yourself with Christ. So let's get to this uh, quote. Pretty good stuff. Christian selfhood is not defined in terms of who we are in and of ourselves. It is defined in terms of what God does to us and the relationship he creates with us and the, the identity that he appoints for us. God made us who we are so we could make known who he is, our identity is for the sake of making known his identity. And this idea that we are God's children comes only from the fact that Jesus made us so. We had no ability to save ourselves. This is clear from scripture. We are dead in our transgressions. Jesus breathed new life in us by forgiving our sins, by living the perfect life that the Father requires, and now giving that grade he got in life to us. And now that's on us. It's in our account And we are therefore righteous before a holy father. And he did it by paying for our our sins on a cross. Talk about being all in. That's the sermon series, right? Jesus was more all in than any of us. He gave up the righteousness and perfection of heaven to become a man that's called his humiliation. 
And then he went to a cross and literally swapped places with you. He died the death that you owe, the death that I owe, so that we could live. And three days later, he's alive and even death is defeated. James has strong words in this idea of not using resources to build our egos. He says in James 1, starting in verse 10, the rich should take pride or they should identify in their humiliation or their low standing since they will pass away like a wildflower for the sun rises with scorching heat and withers the plant, its blossoms fall and its beauty is destroyed. In the same way, the rich will fade away even while they go about their business. Now, we want to be careful here. This is speaking clearly to people who are um, identifying with their resources. He says, if you are a rich person and this is what your life is about, you are in low standing because you will pass away like a wildflower. Instead, make your identity wholly and completely in Jesus Christ. Uh, Number four for us. All in with our resources means that we don't hoard money. All in with our resources means that we don't hoard money. We freely and joyfully and generously give money away. Proverbs 11, 24 and 25, really interesting proverb. Maybe take some time this week to read it again. One person gives freely and he gains even more. Another withholds unduly but comes to poverty. A generous person will prosper. Whoever refreshes others will be refreshed. We talk about being generous and giving away money all the time because the Bible talks a lot about giving away your money and not letting it be your idol, not finding your security or your hope or your fulfillment in money. And the reason, again, why God does that a lot is because he cannot have anything stand between us and him. Things that get in the way. We have a big bank account, so we're secure in that. I've got a lot of money in my pocket, so I feel good about things. No, God wants us to be fully all in with him, and he realizes that money and resources can get in the way of that. They can become idols. Tim Keller says this, an idol has such a controlling position in our heart that you can spend most of your passion, energy, and emotions on it without a second thought. There's a proverb in uh, the 30th chapter that Kate, my wife, and I are aware of. We pray it sometimes. It's a dangerous thing to pray. Here's what it says. Keep falsehood and lies far from me. So far, I like that. Then he writes, give me neither poverty nor riches, but give me only my daily bread. Otherwise, I may have too much and disown you and say, who is the Lord? Or I may become poor and steal and so dishonor the name of my God. Solomon is saying, Lord, just give me what I need. Not so much that I become prideful and put all my hope in my money and forget about you, that I need you but also don't make me so poor that I need to steal and and thus dishonor your name. Would you consider praying that? Would you consider that making a prayer when you consider your resources? Lord, just give me enough and let me give the surplus away so that I might honor your name. I've used this illustration before. Maybe it'll be helpful. When you you check into a hotel room, maybe it's a three-night stay or a five-night stay, you don't redecorate the room. You don't swap out that nasty couch for one that you get over there, a better one. You don't throw up some paint that you like better. If you don't like the jiggly faucet in in the bathroom, you don't switch it out. You don't go to Home Depot and put a new one in. That's not your home. You are there for a time, and then you will go home. We don't invest in this 60, 80, 100 years we have. We invest in our future, in our home, 
and we pay things into a heavenly account to glorify God and to bless other people. Now, let's be clear. There's nothing wrong with having things. God blesses us. Buy a car when you need a car. Go out and have a good meal. Buy clothes when you need them. Go, go on a great vacation. But for the most part, when God allows us to have an abundance above and beyond what we need, that is for blessing others. That is for making a difference in their life. Let me read you a scripture from Luke 12. Won't be on the screen. Actually, it's the one that Christina started. It's so funny how we have these scriptures that pop up on these certain weeks. And again, Jesus starts out with the words, watch out. So we probably ought to watch out. Be on your guard against all kinds of greed because life does not consist in an abundance of possessions. And he told them this parable. The ground of a certain rich man yielded an abundant harvest and he thought to himself, what shall I do? I have no place to store all these crops. Then he said, this is what I'll do. I'll tear down my old barns and build bigger ones and there will store my surplus grain. And then I'll say to myself, you have plenty of grain laid up for yourself for years. Take life easy, eat, rest, and be merry. And then God says to this man, you fool, this very night your life will be demanded from you. Then who will get what you've prepared for yourself? And Jesus concludes this story by saying, this is how it will be with whoever stores up things for themselves but is not rich toward God. Number five, be uh, all in with your resources, and that means we won't use money to satisfy every whim and desire. This is talking about the idea of, of being disciplined. Just because we've got some money laid over there that really has nothing earmarked on it doesn't mean we need to get that thing that we kind of think we want. Maybe we do. It might just end up being something we hang our clothes on. But being all, with, all in with our money means we don't spend money on every whim and desire. God does not supply money to satisfy every whim and desire. He promises to keep our needs, and as I just said, for the most part, the abundance, the over and above what we need, has been provided to us to bless others to support his ministry, to make his word known. 1 Timothy 6, 6 through 8. Godliness with contentment is great gain, for we brought nothing into the world, and we can take nothing out of it, but if we have food and clothing, we will be content with that. There's a Christian author named uh, Paul David Tripp. We like him around here. He wrote a book, Redeeming Money, and here's what he writes. Few of us would be so arrogant as to say that everything in creation was made for us as we wish, but in ways that are subtle or not so subtle, we live as though that's what we think. The core of financial sanity is knowing that our money doesn't belong to us, but is just another thing in our lives, given to us by God, but to be used for his purposes and his pleasure. So maybe you're hearing stuff this morning that's making you think, and maybe this is a week of sincere prayer, and a conversation with God about resources. Maybe you have been finding your identity in those things or allowing money to make you feel good or it feeds your ego or you've been feeding every whim and desire even without thinking or praying about it. Maybe this is a week to have sincere and honest talks with your spouse about household budgets and how they're prioritized and how money goes. Maybe this is a week for spending some um, intense Bible study. The Bible talks a lot about this, a lot. Word searches and using a concordance to find what God has to say about resources and how he blesses us and why he blesses us. And before we go this morning, maybe five helps. This is from an article named, uh, by a guy named Rick, Rick Ezel, a Christian, and he encourages us to use money this way, to replace amount with attitude. Replace amount with attitude. We first and foremost give ourselves to the Lord. That's our attitude. Lord, I fully in with you. 
That's my attitude. That's my position. And from that, I give to you generously. Don't worry about amount right now, especially if you're just starting this idea of giving and being generous. Allow your attitude to be what's important. Secondly, he says, replace casual giving with committed giving. What steals the joy from our giving is that we don't purpose or plan our giving. The Bible's clear. We ought to plan. We ought to have um, already decided in our heart, the Bible says, what we're going to give. So it's not compulsive. So it's not just something we do as a knee jerk, but we've already decided in our heart. And number three is just like number two, replace compulsion with cheerfulness. How's your attitude when it comes to giving? Be cheerful, a cheerful giver. Again, God doesn't need your money. He wants your heart. And when we give with a cheerful attitude, he sees that he has it. We've talked about this before. Who knows if it's really true? But apparently somewhere in the world, uh, there's a group of Christians who dance their offerings forward. When it's time in their service to give, they're so joyful about participating in that kind of worship. They dance, they joyfully jump around and shout at the privilege they have at giving to God's work. Number four, replace fear with faith. Isn't that a big reason that a lot of us don't give? We're just afraid there might not be enough. And that's worry. And as that quote said, worry is believing that God is not going to come through. Be reminded of what he has done in your life and his faithfulness over the years. Our failure to give is not from a lack of resources, but from a lack of faith. And finally, number five, replace guilt with grace. None of this is about making you feel bad. None of this is making you, about making you feel bad because you have a car that runs nicely and you look good in your, in your nice clothes. That's not what we're here to do. We're here to remind you of who you are and how you got here, that you were in darkness and in death, and Jesus paid the, the ultimate price and bought you back. And from that, the joy wells up in your soul and the grace overflows, and now you are a cheerful and celebratory giver. So a lot of application steps right there at the end. Here's kind of three more as we transition into our next steps. These are at the bottom of your worship folder. Think about these, pray about these things this week. Give your worries about money over to God and trust in his provision. Number two, find your identity fully in Christ and enjoy membership in his family. And number three, let grace, let grace be the motivator when you give and be all in with your resources. Let's pray. Father, you are the owner of everything, and you give us um, these things to steward or manage for a season, and I know about the draw and the allure of things, the money. Yeah, I really want that. Well, do I need it? I'm not sure. Let me pray about it. So again, this is not about guilt. This is not about wrestling money out of people's pockets. This is about um, the Holy Spirit destroying idols and things that we allow to get in our way, to be distractions, things that we have allowed our soul to put its hope in, to think that they will fulfill us. When we know true, truly from your word, you are the only one who fills, who delivers, who makes whole. Lord, thank you for loving us first. It is because of that that we love you back. We ask for you to guide us and direct us in this issue and every issue, and we pray all of this in Jesus' name, and together we all say, amen.